0: for listening to the Anthem Church podcast. For more information on Anthem Church, you can visit us at anthemchurch.org. We are in 1 Corinthians. And students, where are my students at? Come on, guys, you can do better than that. Yeah! Students, what is 1 Corinthians? It is a Letter. Letter First Corinthians is a letter. First Corinthians is a letter to the church in Corinth written by Paul. Why do we make a big deal about this? Because when we look at scripture, when we pull open the text, it's important for us to understand what we are reading through. The Bible itself is a collection of a variety of genres of writing. And so how we approach these genres may be a little bit different, and we want to be mindful of that as we approach the text this morning so that we can have properly shaped takeaways that inform, then, therefore, how we live. And so as I mentioned, there are various genres. There are historical narratives. These are things that happened. If you go into the Old Testament, you see the story of Israel. As we flip over to the New Testament, you see the story of Jesus and then the early church. And specifically, if you look in the book of Acts, you see the beginnings of the early church as Paul, Peter, and the disciples are continuing on their missionary journey. It's while they are on that journey that they spend some time in a city in Corinth, and the letter that we are reading today, the book that we are studying, is a letter to that church that he had previously ministered to. And so when you think about a letter you should start asking yourself a few questions. If I'm reading a letter to somebody else, which sounds kind of creepy if you think about it, but we're reading a letter written to somebody else, you should say, okay, well first, who was the letter written to? So we've covered that part. But then you ask yourself, why was that letter written? You know, is this a letter to say, hey, just was thinking of you, things sound great, high five? Or is it a letter that goes along the lines of, hey, like, I need to speak truth and some correction because of what either I'm hearing or or seeing. And that's kind of what we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians as we've studied this over the past few months. When we understand the genre, we approach the text with a proper posture. And then we begin to understand the context of the letter as we walk away with more properly shaped takeaways. And so today's verse that we're gonna be going through is a great example of why that context is so important. In the same way, nobody in this room would go and watch two minutes of pick your favorite or least favorite Star Wars flick um, and say, you know what, I got it. I got it all. I know everything that happens and yep, you wouldn't do that. It doesn't make sense. In the same way, we don't come to the scriptures, look at a small portion and walk away and say, we've got it. We seek to understand the context in which it was written. And so the letter that we're studying, um, 1 Corinthians, is set up by Paul to instruct the Corinthian church and how they are to grow in maturity. And maturity is a funny word. A couple of weeks back, one of our students said it more eloquently than anyone I've ever heard explain this when describing what maturity means and what it doesn't mean. She said, simply getting older doesn't mean we're getting more mature. That's a very mature statement, isn't it? Simply getting older doesn't mean that we are maturing. The assumption that as time goes on, we are naturally maturing is one that we've got to fight against. And likewise, being a Christian for a long time or having grown up in the church, which is, I'm one of those, or going to church for a long time doesn't mean that we are necessarily maturing in a spiritual sense. And so this morning, we're going to be learning from a set of verses where Paul continues to elaborate on his prior teaching about how a believer is to live in light of the freedom found in Christ, how they are to mature in that sense. And there's a word, the word freedom or free has been coming up a lot in the past few verses. This connects us back to his previous train of thought earlier in chapter 9, where Paul has just finished explaining to the Corinthians through a series of rhetorical questions how he is not just instructing them to be thoughtful in how they exercise the freedom in christ but that he is encouraging them to be thoughtful in how they exercise it in a very mature way and also showing how he himself has done that in a way that would have been very personal and meaningful to them what Paul is doing is he's bringing clarity to what it looks like to mature in your understanding of how we live out the gospel. And this is something that he's done frequently in other letters. You don't go very far. You go to the letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 13, where Paul says, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're all in different steps of this journey, this continuous journey of maturing in a spiritual sense. We do this together um, and we grow in maturity together and that's why it's so important that we talk about this often. Emily and I are learning firsthand with our daughter Natalie, she's one and a half years old, our first child. Um, We're learning firsthand um, that Her growing in maturity and understanding and obedience is gonna be a very long game. (laughs) For any of you who've had the joy of running around with her back in the nursery, you know what I'm talking about. And that's obvious, that's natural, that's normal, right? We go, duh. But in the same sense, our growing in maturity from a spiritual perspective um, plays out over time. This isn't something that we're gonna walk away, talk about some questions in community group this next week and say, we got this but this is a journey of maturity that will be shaped by Scripture and the Holy Spirit as we depend fully on God. And so, where are we this week, and what is Paul emphasizing? Paul is continuing to elaborate on the role of a believer in laying aside their freedoms so that we may participate in winning others for Christ. We're going to see specifically how he intentionally chooses to adapt himself to meet others where they're at, so that those who do not know Jesus may come to know him. And he does this in four ways. First, he's gonna clarify what his goal is, we'll look at that together in the verses momentarily. What is my goal? We're gonna answer that. Then he goes and shows us a strategy or a plan to achieve that goal, and then he reveals his motivation behind it and his overall mindset in approaching this. And so turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, We're going to be in chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. And it reads, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity we have to turn to your word and be shaped by it. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be convicting us where necessary as we reflect on what it means to follow faithfully after you. And as we look at the example of Paul and ultimately of Jesus, We thank you for this time. We pray that you'd be glorified in this place. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is Paul's goal? As we look in these first few verses of the text, we start to see a repeated word, and that's usually a pretty good hint that there's something important going on there. And so what is that word? Win. Over and over again, we see Paul talking about winning, winning, winning. So what is Paul's purpose and his goal? It's to win. But we need to keep asking questions as we work through the text. He talks about winning different types of people that he's ministered to. But the question that we should ask is, what does it mean to win? What does it mean specifically to win others? And there are many reasons why we may try to win people over. There are times where we try to win over people for the purpose of winning their friendship. There also may be times where we try to win others to gain their approval. But Paul is clear as you continue through these verses when he shifts later on to say that it is to save some. Paul's reason and goal in winning others over is so that they might be saved. But we continue asking questions of the text. Saved from what? What is it that Paul so desires to win others for so that they may be saved. And Paul, in another one of his letters, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, clarifies what we are being saved from. So Romans 5, 8 through 9, it reads, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but when we talk about wrath of God, that sometimes doesn't seem like a really good conversation starter, right? We kind of avoid the topic altogether because it's easier to talk about the, the more pleasant things. But wrath is just this very heavy-sounding you know, fire and brimstone kind of notion. And we have to press against that temptation to just avoid the topic altogether because that is the essence of the gospel. That apart from Jesus... We deserve the wrath of God. But God, as it said in these verses, because of what he did for us, we have the opportunity to have that relationship with God restored. Knowing what we are saved from or what is to come is so important because it changes how he lives. It gives us a sense of urgency, and it has an incredible influence on the lenses by which we see the world through knowing that if we place our faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection has saved us, restored our relationship to God, and we know that he will return as promised in Scripture and make all things right. But until then, he has also sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And that gives us hope not just to simply endure and crawl through each and every day, but it gives us the power to be able to joyfully walk in obedience to him and in essence bring the kingdom to life in the world around us today so that those around us may see the love of God and praise him in return. Now if we were to stop here and say that is the passage and you know that is the two minutes of Star Wars that we're going to watch and see what we get from it, we could walk away with some interesting conclusions. We might be able to justify getting out some poster boards, getting the big sharpies and getting on a corner and proclaiming with unabashed conviction that people need to turn, turn to Jesus. Disclaimer, we are not saying that. Do not walk away with that as the conclusion this morning. But at the same time, while that's probably fairly obvious for most of us in the room here, we have to also be conscious of the ways we that we may be subtly doing this in other ways. How might our activity on social media be potentially portraying a different, or not different, but an incorrect view of the truth by which we cling? That's why it's so important to continue on into the next few verses, to have the context, and to continue to see what that fuller picture of how Paul and really how God's heart for others can be practically lived out in our lives today as we read this letter to try to understand how then we shall live. And so if Paul's goal and his his desire and his purpose is to win others so that they may be saved, how does he intend to do this? How is he going to um, go about doing this? What is his plan? What is his strategy? So Paul's strategy is to be all things to all people. We begin to see a number of examples as we continue on in verse 20 where he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law and so forth. And it gets a little bit confusing here but to help us understand this, imagine a basketball team. Or yet? there you are. Gavin, help me understand basketball. When teams step onto the court, they have to have a desire to win. Otherwise, that's a terrible basketball game, right? Now, if both teams desire to win, what might be a factor that helps one team come out on top of the other? Ethan's got his hand up too. Anyone else can go too? What, practice? Yeah, what else? Teamwork, what else? These are good. Coaching, Coaching. Athletic, ability. athletic ability, that is very much so. Determination, motivation, nice. That's a man of facts right there, I love that. Simply wanting to win is just the start. The desire to win, the desire to run the race is critically important, but you need to have a plan and a strategy. And so here's what Paul's strategy to win others for Christ looks like. So starting in verse 20, he begins listing out various groups of people that he's ministered to over time. And for Paul, these are specific examples of people that God had called them to for the purpose of winning over for the sake of the gospel. Now at face value, one can assume from these verses that Paul's saying, hey, you got to do whatever it takes. And that should give us a little bit of a pause there for a second. Asking the question maybe, Paul, where do you draw the line perhaps though? Is there a line even in this case? Or is this, just go for it. Now before we continue on in these verses, we're going to pause for a second. Because a repeated word that comes up over and over again in these next set of verses is the law. Those under the law, those who aren't under the law. Becoming like those who are, it can get so confusing. But what do we mean by The law. So, going back to this letter, this letter is written at a specific time in the history of the church when there is some disagreement, perhaps some confusion, about whether you need to obey the over 600 laws or commandments in the Old Testament. And there were some who fell into a camp that said, Absolutely, you must know every one of those, live by them, and that's the only way to have a right relationship with God, by following this long set of rules. But what Jesus' followers at that time understood and what we understand today is that the Old Testament law and our inability to fulfill it pointed out our need for a Savior, which is found in Jesus. Jesus, who fulfilled the law by living a sinless life, dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and then raising up from the dead so that those who place their faith in him would be saved. Paul's letter to the Romans and the Galatians go into extensive detail and are a great resource if this topic is of interest to you. But We want to give us that quick frame to understand what we mean by the law. And so jumping back into the verses that we're in today, and Paul gives us the first example in verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. What he's referring to is those who are struggling with this legalistic nature in trying to follow and check every rule in the book. But the parentheses help a little bit here. If you're reading the ESV version, there's these parentheses where you see Paul's statement and then his thoughts and his intentions where he says, though not myself being under the law. He then moves on to another group of folks, those who are not under the law. He says that I became as one outside the law parentheses not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside of the law. And then he goes and talks about another group the weak becoming like the weak so that he might win the week. And the week doesn't refer to some scrawny person in the corner, physical weakness, but what has been discussed so far in the book of 1 Corinthians about those struggling with their faith. Matt said it so nicely last week. He's talked about new roots that are forming that are still tender. What we see in these three examples is that Paul is showing us how he's able and thoughtfully and purposefully adapting himself within reason, under the law of Christ to reach out to these folks. And what do we mean by the law of Christ? This is widely interpreted as Jesus' response to a scribe in the Gospel of Mark when he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor. And so with that being his guidepost, Paul says he adapts. And so if his goal, his purpose is to win Those so that they may be saved, his strategy, his plan, is his ability to adapt. What this does not mean, though, is that Paul is changing the heart of the message because Paul's goal is to win them so that they may be saved. The message is preserved, but his approach, his outward approach, is changed. He knows how important his words and his actions are to those whose faith is young and tender or to those who have yet to know Jesus. This is a lesson for us, I believe, in starting where others are versus making them or assuming that they should first come to us. What does this practically look like? In our lives today being able to sit and to listen to those who we may not agree with knowing that at some point there may be a chance that you get to share your story which is infused with the hope and the love of god that's been poured out and into our hearts and so we have to ask ourselves are there habits are there preferences we would be willing then to set aside for the purpose that Paul is highlighting in front of us. Brothers and sisters, I say this tenderly, but I believe that the church and potentially us in some ways are in grave danger of increasing circles of isolation when it comes to the Christian faith. What I mean by that is church life can easily become this subculture of of meetings and gatherings and events while our friends, our neighbors, and our family who do not know the hope that we have in Jesus stand across a divide that has been created And cannot find it possible to cross that cultural divide between us and them. And to be honest, I don't blame them. Jesus never asked them to cross that bridge so that they could be known. He called us to cross that bridge. He's called us to love first him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor, and to love others. Brothers and sisters, my hope is that the truth of what God has done for us would compel us to examine our default posture to the world around us. Sure, in the past, there have been examples, and there will continue to be examples, of those who find their way into the church, acclimate to the church, come to faith, and become an integral part of the church. But we also need to be aware of the world in That we live in today and in some sense realize what we can become if we're not conscious it's shouldn't be a surprise and it is actually i'd say a pretty established fact that for many people the church and the people of the church are not a culture that they feel welcomed into rather than expecting that the world will come to us we need to hear paul's call to the Corinthians in this letter that we're reading and set our hearts towards those who do not yet know Jesus. What are some barriers that we need to consciously cross in our lives so that others may be saved? throughout scriptures, we see this outward call of the gospel of the good news. You see Jesus say, go and I will make you fishers of men. Before returning to heaven, Jesus talks to the disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's exciting, as Greg and Kathleen were sharing this morning, we've got a team out in the Ukraine right now. But as we think about the imagery that comes from this text, you know, we could jump into the fishing one. That's a fun one. We ask ourselves, you know, what does good fishing look like? One, where do you fish? Where do you throw your line? In the duh, right? If we all have to rewind ourselves back to Sunday school, if that was something that you're a part of growing up, growing up in the church, you probably have the vivid imagery of Jesus talking to the disciples and casting their nets out into the water. That is natural imagery we think about fishing. Jesus never told the disciples to throw their nets onto the boat next to them to catch the fish in the other boat. Likewise, getting your line thrown into the boat would be a terrible mistake. And once again, we go, of course not. And I say this also tenderly. This should cause us to think about how church growth happens. At Anthem, we, we, we have never made it about Hitting the number of people we want here. And as Greg and Kathleen shared, we hold each of you with open hands, knowing that we want to shepherd you well while you're with us, but knowing that there may be a time where God sends you somewhere and we will celebrate and send when that time comes. But how a church grows is something that's been, I know, on my heart quite often. We are so excited that so many folks have joined us from other churches. And I I want to highlight the fact that, yes, it is so important for you to find a church where you can grow in healthy fellowship and teaching with one another. We're excited for so many folks that have joined us over the past few months and years. But there's a part of us that yearns to be obedient to what God has called us to and to grow not just by folks finding a new church from another church, but because people around us are hearing the truth of the gospel, that the way we live our lives puts the love of Christ on display and that we are actually choosing to go into the places where we may not be the same for the sake of the gospel. Where are we fishing? We are told to go and make disciples of all nations. And Paul has shown us his strategy for how we do that. And it's by adapting, meaning we are going to find ways to meet others where they are. And a beautiful picture of this can be found in John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, in the story about Jesus and the woman at the well. It reads, in verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The dialogue and the narrative continues. And if you watch it play out, you see Jesus meeting her where she is at. Crossing some potentially taboo lines for the purpose of establishing an understanding of knowing her story and then speaking truth into her life as he meets her where he is. Thinking of modern day examples of missionaries going to other countries, you can imagine, and if any of you know a a missionary friend, you know that they spend so much time preparing to go. What types of things do they do? They spend time understanding the culture, learning the language so that they can become like those that they desire to win. Now citing these types of examples can sometimes be a little bit dangerous too because we could say, well, that's for the, the missionaries. You know, but you know, what, what about me? And as we study the life of Paul, that, this can be challenging because we go, well, that's Paul. And you know Paul, but, but, but this, is, this is me. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that the encouragement here is that this call is as much for you and I if we have put our faith in Jesus and we don't go about it alone. So many passages in Scripture remind us of what it looks like to exercise, as we call it, the one another's, as we encourage, we pray for, and we celebrate together. And so we encourage you to continue to encourage one another as we seek to run the race that's placed before us. Now, there can be some unhealthy ways in we approach the strategy of being all things to all people because it could easily become a means of trying to fit in a little bit better or done, done out of fear. We could sometimes try to be all things to all people because we're afraid um, that if we're ourselves, they're not going to like us and that we won't be accepted and if I were to, you know, if we were to sit around a fire pit and share stories, a large part of my junior high and high school years was spent trying to fit in, being afraid of not fitting in. And I found myself continually trying to adapt in a different sense so that I might gain the approvals of others. Paul, though, is not adapting out of fear. He's not being forced to do this. He is choosing to do this out of love. It is a conscious decision of love. And that love is motivated. Now moving to Paul's motivation for the sake of the gospel. Paul knew the power of the resurrection in his own life. Philippians 3, chapter 8 says, Indeed, this is Paul, another one of his letters to the church of Philippi. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Jesus was of utmost value to Paul. And the question we ask ourselves is, is the gospel of utmost value to us today? so much so that we would choose to close the gaps that exist between us and the world. And if this is something that God is calling us to, we begin to realize that this is gonna take work, including limiting some of our freedoms as we adapt to meet those where they are at. And this moves us into Paul's, not just his motivation, but his mindset. And we see a picture of an athlete. And what athlete does not limit themselves to perform at the highest possible level of performance? I love the donuts back there. But if I were going to go run a race after the second gathering, which I'm not, and I don't, I should, but if I were to go and run, limiting myself of that stack of donuts would be a choice that would be healthy for the task, the mission, and the race that lies ahead. Now, in this example that Paul enters into where he says in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? You begin to see this picture of someone running with such a desire to win. But the key thing to note is that in the race that we are talking about, there isn't just one winner, but we run in a sense or it is, it is as if there is only one winner, which means we give it our all. When the score is tied fourth quarter and the ball is in our hands, Ethan, Gavin, what do we do? We charge like there's no tomorrow, right? And we do it together. We do it together. Other things that Paul highlights in this passage is one of self-control, that picture of limiting ourselves in a knowledgeable and wise way, but also from temptation. Self-control as it relates to temptation, because if we are going to enter into the places to meet others, we must guard against temptation, and we have to remind ourselves that temptation is never an ugly thing. Its consequences are ugly. Let's remember, but temptation often is very attractive. And subtle. It's also this motivate or this mindset is not aimless. He uses the analogy of running with aim, but not boxing and beating at the air, and it's for an imperishable prize. And so any concern that we might have about being all things to all peaceable, all, all things to all people, possibly leading the wrong way, is clarified by having the mindset that Paul paints for us here, as one that is disciplined self-control, and motivated by the desire to see more and more become saved. You know, there's this saying that's been printed over a bunch of bumper stickers and t-shirts and hats and made into wallpapers for computers that says, in this world, but not of it. That comes from Romans chapter 12. And that is a beautiful, beautiful verse. But I fear sometimes that when we hold on to a snippet of passage like that, that in our attempt of living out that verse faithfully, we can subconsciously take it to a bit of an extreme. Imagine if you had a boat, but that boat was parked on the side of the house, shiny as the day you bought it. But hey, this boat is safe, it's perfect, the way it was, the way it's meant to be. But the boat's not in the water. However, that boat was made to be in the water and not taking on water. And that's the difference between being in the world and not of it and being apart from the world. Put the boat in the water. N.T. Wright, a commentator of the New Testament, says this, Paul's overall point is to make them see that Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you from being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. And so it's with this mindset that Paul is able to step across the bridge to meet people where they're at and be effective. And so so how do we respond? Paul's goal was to win others so that they might be saved. And his strategy was adaptability. It was motivated by the sake for the sake of the gospel, and it's with a mindset of an athlete running a race. And so as we read this letter and see this laid out for us by Paul as he was writing to the Corinthians, just like them, we have the opportunity now to make a choice to heed his advice or to say, you know what? I think I'm good where I'm at. The boat's looking mighty fine, parked up against the house. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. If you've been here for a while, you've heard Kevin say this many, many times, that we are constantly, as a people, being formed and shaped in one way or the other. And it's what we surround and saturate ourselves in that affects that. But I think it's important for us to realize, as we talked this morning, about some of the dangers of uh, insular church culture, to realize that what's happened over history and over time is that sometimes things have crept into that space that have caused divisions, separations, and somehow things that are more probably preferential have been adopted as things that um, eventually cause people to say, that doesn't look like the Jesus you are telling me about. And we wait for them to come to us. As opposed to heeding the advice of Paul as we place ourselves under the law of Christ to boldly be all things to all people, to meet them where they are at with the purpose of winning them so that they may know that the hope that we have in Jesus can also be theirs. How do we go about doing this? A few weeks ago, we we took a break and went through a series called Practicing the Way, and this is an excellent starting point by spending time being with Jesus, allowing his word, prayer, fellowship with one another to be the thing that guides us, keeps us focused, not aiming or not boxing aimlessly, Then we begin to practice, as someone said earlier, doing the things that he did. And let me tell you, we're going to mess up. We're going to botch it. We're going to say the stupidest things that Christians are somehow really good at saying. But we're going to say them and we're going to realize them. We're going to work together. We're going to, as one another, learn as we approach it with humility and grace dependent on the Holy Spirit and as we walk forward in the race that is set before us. What could this look like that we might win some? You know, first it starts with going and making disciples. But What does that look like? Let's start by being with others. Let's start by knowing them. Learning about them. Knowing their hopes. Their fears. And then sharing our own. Believe me, somewhere in there, as you, as you just try that, you will get to share your story. And who knows, maybe that, that will be the beginning of them seeing that there is hope in Christ. The sum of the matter is this, is that Christ died to set us free, free from the wrath of God. Are we using our freedom to make this good news known? Are our decisions leading us to a place where we have no connection with those who have yet to know Jesus? Or are we too worldly or so worldly that they don't know that we have something radically different to offer? With these sort of conclusions, I know it's often easy to feel a little bit lost, saying, well, the the problem looks so huge, and we're not being specific enough. That's what community groups are for. Get in a community group and and, and work through this. It's it's gonna be amazing. Um, But if it feels like this is too much, let us remind one another to look towards Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, there's this quote um, by a guy named Tim Kiziar. It's quoted in Crazy Love, this book that took over Christendom 10 years ago. You guys all have one at home. Um, the quote reads this. Our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter we've been given the Holy Spirit so that when it feels like it's too much we know that we are not alone and so we're going to end on this verse because this morning we've been looking at the example of Paul and how, he's got a crazy story but in his example how he chose to adapt himself to meet others where they were at And that's a great example, but the greatest example is Jesus. Jesus Christ who came to earth to be among us. Meeting us exactly where we are. And we see this in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And it reads, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you... Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to meet us where we were at and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, thank you for the truth that is in your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would highlight to us, and reveal to us, Lord, where there may be barriers and gaps and chasms created between your church and the world. And we pray that you would give us a vision for how we are to walk across and to meet those who have yet to know you. May we do it with love. May we do it with humility. May we do it with grace, dependent on your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we get to do this together thank you that we do not have to fear. And so, Lord, work through us. Work in us for your glory and your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.